you'd won the West Island Way twice, and it was the second one in a three-year spell where you broke the course record each time. Looking back now, it felt like I'd actually stopped learning. And do you think in many ways that was actually a big part of you eventually going on to win the race? I cared more about it than anybody else. You can start to change your story, and when you start to change your story, then amazing things can happen. Hi, welcome to the Pylon Ultra Pod. We are two episodes into this journey already. Episode two went live last Thursday, and we're recording this on Monday. And so far, the response has been really positive, so thanks for that. Thanks to anyone who listened. We really appreciate the shares, the subscriptions and the suggestions. And we've already been steered into some further areas for discussion, which we'll talk about over the coming weeks and months. And I think we're starting to get a sense of direction now for where the rest of this series might go. And we'll keep listening to you and we'll keep responding to you whilst we present our best thoughts and ideas on why we live this ultra life and the role that running has to play in it. So last week we talked a lot about James and his experiences in both his corporate life and his athletic performances. All of that really was centred around adaptability and how we felt that it's an ability that's often undervalued and one that can be practised and nurtured. So this week we thought we'd stay in the same kind of space but also have a think about how fear can stop us releasing from the starting blocks in the first place. A question that Kevin touched on in the community question section from the episode last time. You can still listen to episode two after this. It's up on iTunes and Spotify and most podcast players. And James also penned a blog about it, which you can find at pilotultra.com slash blog. So this episode, James will be doing more of the questioning and we've accepted that it might be a little less structured than the last few episodes, but we felt it was the best way for us to really get under the skin of what drives us to do the things that we do. So we hope you get something out of this discussion and we'll go wherever it takes us. We're very much trying to walk the walk of vulnerability, the thing that we talk so much about. So I'll hand over to the one and only James Stewart, GB 24-hour runner and senior pylon coach, and we'll talk some more about adaptability and courage at a time when we need it more than we've ever done. So here is episode three of the Pylon Ultra pod. Thank you, Paul. And that you know that introduction was so good, so good. It's almost like you've done it before. You Which reckon, you have. James? Yeah, I'm delighted <laughs> to be here for the second time. For I the second admit. time. Um, so, for anyone listening, um, the my advice to you is: is don't try and use an old laptop with a new microphone and expect it to work first time, because you may well lose a recording of a podcast you recorded. Mm-hmm. But. But Paul has been very good about it as we re-record this podcast, which yeah. will be completely different from the one we did um, yesterday. The lesson yeah. could also be maybe check your audio halfway through to see if it's still recording. Potentially. I mean, well, there's all sorts of lessons in yeah. there, isn't there? I, um, I wouldn't like to say, because I'm, I'm sure I'll make a mistake soon. <laughs> but it's good to know the strength of our friendship as we're still speaking. So anyway, Absolutely. anyway, adaptability is what it's all about. And this week, Paul, we are going to be talking about you and your journey to becoming 
well, the athlete you are, but also the person you are and the coach you are. So there's, there's a whole gamut of things that we'll, we'll explore around that, which I'm really excited to get into. And I've got a couple of questions on that. But before we get into it, what, what have you been up to since we last spoke in the pod? Uh, last week was a busy week, James. We had episode two come out, obviously. Um, so there's a bit of work involved in getting that out. And then I had a last minute request from a sponsor to take over their Instagram stories for the day. So um, yeah, I didn't have a huge amount of prep time. And uh, I like to do things as best I can, James, and not the same as everybody else who's done it before. So uh, yeah, there was a lot of um, me seat of the pants creativity going on, if you saw any of that. You know, I, I did, and there was actually one particular highlight for me, and you know I like to get a musical reference in, was <laughs> when you, uh, well, it won't be the last one in this pod, I'm sure, but <laughs> it was it was actually when you did the, the video of the shoes going up and downstairs and out the kitchen and stuff, it really reminded me of the White Stripes song, The Hardest Button to Button, which was a brilliant video, so I actually really enjoyed watching your, your, um, your Instagram takeover, it was really good. So based on that, if the White Stripes call, I, I could be in line for a, for a video commission? Well, Meg and Jack aren't working together anymore, so you could be the new Meg or new Jack, whatever you prefer. I, James, I could be the glue that brings them back together. <laughs> well, there you go. Let's get them. Let's get them on the phone after this, though. So, um, back to serious matters: adaptability um, in life and in ultra running, and in well, just in general. And we're going to talk about your story. So, we're going to spin back half a dozen years to 2014. So, you'd already won a number of races. You'd won the West Highland Way twice, and it was the second one in a three-year spell where you broke the course record each time. And that was obviously you starting the journey of becoming quite a successful runner, but at the same time, you were just about to launch into the, the career of being a coach under the, the Pylon coaching setup. What was happening in your professional life in 2014 that, well, drove you towards this leap? 2014 was was a big year for me and it feels like it was it was the moment something changed but it was really before that I'm not sure exactly when or exactly what that trigger was but something in me changed at that point um so it feels like maybe around I don't know 2010 or something I had this thing where I just felt like I woke up and I know that sounds very dramatic and I had this awakening or something but um I had been very comfortable before that I'd been settling and on a work side of things I was in a role that I was comfortable doing and I was good at my job and I didn't really have people around me that were really pushing me for ideas or to do things differently or I just didn't have the space or opportunity to do that because of the type of company I was in um, so I had settled, I was comfortable and I felt like, looking back now it felt like I'd actually stopped learning which is not a good place to be I, I've always been quite a passionate person so I, if there's something that really sets me on fire I really go for it um, I don't know what I was doing at that time when I look back for a number of years and I, I wouldn't like to say that I wasted those years but I, I can't I can't see where my passion was in those years and, and what I was really doing to to better myself or to live the life that I really wanted and it was maybe around 2011 I think it was I saw a job advertised that I really wanted um, and I put a lot of work into doing that and it wasn't the straightforward application process and I'd been in a previous role for quite a number of years so it was it was comfortable and there were good conditions there and uh, I was fortunate enough that I could work five days over four so I had a Friday off every week and you know I could do a long run on a Friday and it freed up my weekend a little bit but I saw this job and it just sparked something in me that I really wanted to be part of it so I put a huge amount of effort into that 
the recruitment process and they basically put out a, a brief it was like a creative brief to respond to um, so it was a series of creative presentations and then meeting directors and all that kind of thing uh, which you'll be aware of I'm sure but I'd, I'd set my heart on getting that job and I went out to get it and I was lucky enough that I did get that job and I was going to be looking after the digital media team for the Glasgow 2014 Commonwealth Games. So it was a big role. And um, my side of things, obviously, is digital media. I've worked in marketing, both agency and client side, for since I left uni, pretty much. Uh, I lived in London for six years working in some big agencies. So it was like a really exciting role for me. It was probably, as far as I was concerned, it was the biggest role in Scotland, I think, at the time, uh, because... It had loads of potential to be really creative and you had to get projects done quickly. You didn't have the luxury that the big corporations have when you're working client side, for example. You know, you plan out these campaigns or events or things that have to happen and they often take six, 12 months or it rolls on because you haven't done the testing properly and it rolls on for another six months. When you're in a games environment like that and you've got a fixed deadline, you ha- absolutely have to hit it. So you need to be really fast on your feet and, and think creatively uh, and be excited and passionate about it. So for me at the time, it felt like it was a bit of a risk. It was a fixed contract, obviously. We knew when the games were going to start and we knew when the games were going to finish. So I knew when my, my role was gone. And I hadn't worked like that before. My parents were like, is this really the right thing for you to be doing? You're in this comfortable job, you know, you've got a pension plan and all that. Everything was kind of okay and rosy and I wasn't having to push myself at all. But I really wanted it and I felt passionate about it. And for for that time, it felt like I was actually asking questions of myself for the first time in years. Like it was easy to sit back and just and just live and not really push yourself whereas now I was like excited about learning new stuff and pushing myself and putting myself into uncomfortable situations um, so the job itself it took a huge amount from me it's quite a difficult role um, it's quite time consuming I was working a lot of the time you're working 12 hour days and you don't get much time off at nights you're looking after social media stuff or keeping an eye on what's happening at weekends you've always got to have somebody in the team covering things over a weekend and then it builds this is all before games time as they like to call it so it builds and it builds and the intensity just gets greater and greater and when you actually get into 2014 itself you've still got you know six or seven months before the games everything just ramps up and so it was high pressure but I still I still felt like I was an athlete so I was still training as if I was an athlete I was getting up super early in the morning that's where the whole hashtag 444 alarm started it was the only way I could get training done in the morning before I went to work and I was out the house for 4.44 so eventually it was actually 4.24 I was doing myself a mm. disservice James and uh, <laughs> I just had to be I just had to be totally committed to it I was still really passionate about my running it's 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 what really lit me up but I wanted to do this job as well so it was the only way I could do it was early morning runs or I would run into work I'd work all day I'd finish maybe 6 or 7 o'clock at night and then I'd run home again and I just did I did I don't know, two and a half years of that, just solidly, every time. I'd get some time off on a Saturday to go and run in the mountains, and that was enough for me to to feel like I was still training enough. And it was enough for me to still get selected for GB and stuff as well, you know. So in in a lot of ways, um, you can be really productive that way. And I I see that in you a lot, actually, James, you know, because you know your time is limited. You kind of set that aside almost, and you you won't miss your morning run because that's the only time you've got to do it. And then when you've actually got a bit more time, that's when you actually tend to waste a bit more time, I think. And, you know, it's a, it's a real good point, that, because 
I can see that in athletes just now when they've got that time at home or they're, they're maybe yeah you know starting a bit later and we talked about this about routine and stuff previously but actually when you become time rich you can lose that time really quickly so you're right structure and routine and all of that gave you gave you a focus so you were being really successful from a career point of view but there was a limit to that and yeah. then because that, that job was inevitably going to end at some point in 2014, some point after the Games. Sounds a yeah. massive job, quite high intensity. But then, by the end of 2014... Well, like, after after the Games finished, I had told myself, you go into you go into Games time mode. I can't remember. Well, most people won't have worked in an organising committee. So, for a long period, it's like a normal company. You've got a chief exec, you've got people you report into, you've got a finance team that you report into, and you have yep. to manage budgets, all that kind of stuff. It's very normal. And then when you get in, it's maybe it's maybe eight weeks out or something, they switch into this games time mode, effectively. So the whole organisation changes. There's masses more people involved in the organisation. The team that I was managing grew probably four times the size overnight it was just like we need all these people to deliver everything that's going on and there's a huge amount involved they've got so many stakeholders from the scottish government to glasgow city council then you've got big sponsors who are paying a lot of money to activate their campaigns and their marketing activity you've got things like the queen's baton really was back in the uk so all that is um happening online and you have to be on top of that every single day you know we need to try and connect people and uh, continue to get people excited and you're still trying to sell tickets you're still trying to find the right number of volunteers to come out and work at the games as well so it's it's like a really intense time so i'd said to myself in the heat of all that and it's not like I, for some people it's a it's a hugely enjoyable experience when the games actually start see when you get to the opening ceremony but as a digital team, everything that's happening in venue has to be presented online somewhere, whether it's on social media or it's video content on YouTube or it's on the website and there's reports and everything that has to happen there for the people that can't be at the games. So we don't we didn't we don't go out, we didn't see any sport. I think I went out for one afternoon. I got one afternoon off for that, you know, two week period and that was it. You're stuck in an office, you're just on it the whole time. So it's super intense. So to help me try and get through that period I'd said to myself when this finishes and everything calms down I'm going to do something for me I'm going to go and run somewhere that I really want to run and take a few weeks uh, to think about what I'm going to do after this because I don't I could have been tempted to run into you know a, a career pro progression I had amazing experience there that I could take on to another role and I don't think I would have struggled to get another role um, that was as big as that if not even a bigger role in some other company um, but I really wanted to find my own space and um, have a think about what I really wanted to do so I had said to myself that I was going to uh, go out to Flagstaff um, Flagstaff is a place I was aware of for years and it's got really great trails um, it's got a lot of trail runners there and a lot of people who are really into sport it used to have an Olympic training centre so there's like some really high profile athletes from there um, everything's at altitude it's close to 7 thousand feet i think overall so long story short uh through a friend of a friend and a sponsor i managed to get in touch with um a girl called alicia shea who's quite a big athlete and uh she's coaches and she's been heavily involved in running her entire life really um and she had some space in her house and i didn't want to just go and stay in some airbnb for a couple of weeks and treat it like a holiday i wanted it i wanted to to be a full-time runner for a period and see how that felt <clears throat> so i went out there and um 
I spent a lot of time with Alicia, uh, and she was just getting together with Chris Fargo at the time, who was was like properly up and coming in the ultra scene too. So I had some really good people around me, and it wasn't like there was any kind of like I was in awe of anybody or anything, or or they or we talked about race results or anything. It was just. I just connected with people who are really passionate about being outdoors and living the life that they wanted to live. Uh, so for me, at that time, I started to realise that I actually have the ability to choose what my life is going to look like instead of just following this same pattern that most people do. Um, yeah, and I, I, I think that really sparked something in me that, that I could change things and I didn't necessarily have to go straight back into a similar type of role, really. And, uh, and that's like such a I guess such a big turn from where you were you know you've worked in London you've been you know you've done a bit of the DJ and stuff you've done in the past you've had that kind of very different life but that itch was there that you, you had to scratch yeah. and you set about scratching it and in late 2014 you launch Piling Coaching quite a soft launch you know there's nothing massive going on but it's a big leap for you and you've already talked about how you're quite a considered guy you know you think things through and Kevin talked in the, the, the last podcast that his question was around fear of failure. And whilst we cannot, we didn't really love the word fear, I'm going to use it in this question here, which was, what, what was your biggest fear that you had to conquer to make that leap and to be a success? Um, like the biggest fear are quite obvious things initially. Um, and I'll, I'll maybe talk about how I managed to get over some of those fears or or my experience at the games how, how that helped and um, it's things like it's that obvious things like I, I i'd never had a salary coming in i knew that was going to be the case for the first time since i left uni it was going to be there isn't this monthly number appearing in my bank account so that's 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 scary place to be i still yeah. had costs i still had costs to cover i hadn't done any of this before i had the idea and i had i had a belief that i could do it really well um but I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to go about it. And the best way to to even present my thinking and present my plans and and to get other people to trust me and want to come and work with me. And so that was I was I was scared about that, I think. But having gone through a games time period where you've done as much planning as you can and you do a lot of planning obviously, uh, the two years before and that's great for some of the teams in particular. See if you're working on a venues team, for example. So yeah. you do all your planning and then the venues come to life uh, around games time. You're not actually managing stuff on top of your planning. But when we were doing our planning on the digital media side of things, you still have your day-to-day to do. You know, there's still things happening. There's still launches. We're opening the Sir Chris Hoy Velodrome. All that stuff still has to happen and it has to be presented online. So um, we don't quite get the same time and uh, level of planning and then we have to be reactive all the time so I think that made a big difference to me in that I had some clear goals of what I wanted to achieve and, and why and how I was going to do that but you just get you get called on from so many different areas that um, eventually you learn to take a step back and you just get this bigger view of well what really is the most important thing just now I know I've got 10 different people screaming at me for stuff that has to happen but ultimately, I can only do three of these things at the one time. So um, that gave me a lot of confidence that I can always find a way to make things work and, and, and to focus on the priorities um, rather than feeling overwhelmed at any point, you know. And and that was the same That was the same when I started the coaching side of things because there's so much to learn initially. I, I, I was confident I could make a difference to people. 
and I was confident that everything that I'd done personally um, for the, I don't know, the five or six years before that in my own training and pushing myself and making mistakes and learning, uh, I, I would be able to use that experience um, to make it better for people. So what, what really strikes me there, though, was we talked in the last podcast about adaptability being one part of a bigger toolkit. Yeah. And, and there's something really come through there for me. There was the, your experience of working at the Commonwealth Games and leading that digital team gave you two, two really powerful skills that have made you much more adaptable, which was one, you were able to get perspective. So you didn't worry about not having a monthly income coming in or the fact that you weren't 100% sure about how this was going to work because you had the perspective that and the confidence from the work you'd done that you could find a way and that you could solve problems when they come up. Are they, yeah. are they two skills that you feel complement your ability to your ability to have grown the business you have and made you more adaptable as a, both an athlete and a human? Yeah, I mean, it, it, for me, it was, yeah, it was being able to um, to take a step back and initially, you could, you could be in some kind of panic situation then when you think the first month has gone by and there's no salary and I've only got one client and that's that's you know that's thousands of pounds less than I normally have coming in yeah but but when you take a step back and you try to calm yourself and look at the bigger picture it's not like I could never go back to where I was before you know I was I was a month out of the end of my contract effectively so it was still worth taking that risk for me at the time to think well nothing has to be forever and if you don't try this then I'm actually letting myself down because I'm not I'm not trying to live the life that I really want to lead by just going back the way um so that was really important and and that's that's affected it's affected how I race now and it's learnings from races that I have done so James we've talked about a number of races over the years and stuff and in Scotland certainly probably most people talk about that second West Island Way race or whatever and that was the race that Robbie was up for and uh, it was a really oh, yeah. good race and, and it was an exciting race for everyone that was, was watching on social media or anything else and it was great and I knew early on that it was going to be um, a psychological battle I think because Robbie being Robbie you know he put himself on the line and said he was going to come up and smash a record and he wasn't scared of the guy who had set the record and, and that's something that's brilliant about a guy like Robbie in the sport in the sense that he's willing to put it out there which then spurs on others, whether it be um, to try and put in a great performance or, you know, just to go, well, I, I want to beat this guy. But the one thing I've always loved about when I speak to Robbie is, is he's willing to go, this is my ultimate aim and I'm going to put it out there and I'm going to be shot down. I don't care about being shot down if I don't meet it because I believe I can. So he comes up there and, and I guess he's on your turf, racing you on the yeah. place where you've just broke the course record. Yeah. Um, so, so I guess you're going to give tells a wee bit about that. How did that feel? Uh, I definitely, I was definitely aware of it. I couldn't avoid it, uh, yeah. even if even if I wanted to. You know, people people will say those things to you, and and they they're not saying it to, um, to be nasty, or they're not saying it for any other reason than oh, I've, I've I saw that on social media, and and Robbie's going to come up here, and he's got big intentions, and this is your race kind of thing. I think the benefit that I had initially was that it felt like it was it was my race I was I was I in those years I was the most passionate person about that race that yeah. that, that ran the race and th and that's why I, I, I won the race three times in a row I cared more about it than anybody else and I know that sounds it maybe sounds arrogant or something I, I, I don't mean to sound arrogant it's just I put everything I had into those races 
and it took me it took me the first two years uh, where I didn't win uh, to build that drive and passion for the race itself and I've I've been like that in the past quite a lot I when I put myself when I put a focus into something like a race and that's why I've been back to Western States four times you know I was passionate about that race too and yeah I, I I like to be that way about a race rather than I'm not I'm not the guy who's going about just ticking off races because oh that's a great one I'd like to do that I'd like to do that I get hooked on things because if there's a story to a race and there's people involved then then it really lights me up and um, so Robbie coming felt like it felt like it was a threat almost and I but I I felt confident that he was going to have to run his best possible race if he was going to if he was going to beat me on it. All things being equal and all things going to plan, kind of thing. So I I had some tough times in that race early on. Um, we set off, we both set off really quick, maybe quicker than we would have, but part that was part of the marking out territories early on, you know. So yep. um, we were so side race by after side. All. I know side by side, being friendly to each other, chit chatting, and all that stuff that as you do and. Um, pushing uphill and testing each other on the shorter wee downhills and stuff just to see where people are and how they're feeling um, we got to the top of Conic Hill and uh, I tripped just as we were literally on its, on our way down, I tripped quite badly I fell really badly on my knee uh, to the point that I thought my race was probably over from a physical point of view like I thought I'm not even going to get to the bottom here and I'm going to have to pull out um, and Robbie disappeared as you would uh, I would have taken that opportunity he floated down and disappeared and probably put five minutes on initially and then maybe another 10-15 by the time I, I got back onto the trail uh, I got down there and uh, I got through the aid station pretty quickly my knee was sore but I'm thinking right okay I just need to try and get on with this and see what happens and get myself to the next aid station and see how I feel so quite quickly then I I, I don't know where but I, I was definitely learning my craft better I, I had a better understanding of what was going on in my mind then previous races maybe I would have been this is a disaster or why is this always happened to me you know this is terrible why did this have to happen it wasn't really like that quite quickly I had I decided right well I need to just get myself together here and I need to focus on the small things first of all so focus on getting back into my own rhythm try to forget about my knee I'm still moving it's not that bad now you know it's the pain is not as quite as bad as it was when I fell so that's a plus already and then I was just taking section by section and I don't even mean aid station to aid station section I was just saying right okay when I get to the top of that next climb if I get there and I move well and I run that whole climb, then I'm doing well. And I was actually trying to praise myself each time. I was going, that was good. You, you knocked that section off. Anytime I was eating something, I was going, that's good. That's 50 calories down. Anytime I was drinking, it was like, you're staying on top of your drinks. You're doing okay. And I just had this this thinking in my mind that if I just keep going and I keep pushing hard and I keep getting into that uncomfortable zone where you're pushing pretty hard, uh, that he would eventually either have to maintain that for the rest of the race or I, I'm i going to catch him at some point or he's going to slow at some point that's going to be a different point from me. And then if I get sight of him, then then the race is back on again. I was disappointed, obviously, that I'd, given him, I'd handed him this advantage uh, quite early on in the race, but I, I had to get over that quite quickly. Yeah, and, and do you think by... Because what you talked about there, Paul, was you effectively started to compartmentalise the elements of the race, whether it yeah. be what you eat or the the hundred yards ahead or the climb a, a above. And do you think in a, in a funny sort of way, you, you've had to adapt that race strategy in the moment as a reaction yeah. to something. Yeah. Um, and do you think in many ways that was actually a big part of you eventually going on to win the race? It was, yeah. Yeah, it definitely was. And it actually... It actually uh, 
I, I almost switched off from the suffering in those sections because I, I, I used it to my advantage. You know, I focused on, right, okay, I'm going to keep pushing, I'm going to keep pushing. If I'm running this hill, he has to be running that hill. If he's not running that hill, I'm closing in on him. And I just did that the whole time. So I almost like I got really, really focused on just running the best sections that I could each time uh, in the hope that I'm going to see him. And eventually, you know, you, you'll, you'll have done it yourself, James, but you the longer sections where you turn a corner, you're thinking, can I get a wee flash of them? Can I see them in the distance maybe? Yeah. And then the, the minute, the minute you see them, you're like, right, okay, this is it, game on. And you just get this big boost then, you know, um, you can start pushing on. And it's happened. Like I'm, I'm fortunate now. I'm, I still learn in races, and it's happened again. Even the race I did, uh, November, end of November in Portugal. Uh, it was a two hundred mile race, and there was a couple, There was a few guys in front. Maybe I don't know if it was a, just after a hundred miles, maybe or maybe maybe longer than that, hundred and twenty miles or something. There was maybe three guys in front, local guys, Portuguese, didn't talk to me. They were kind of helping each other, you know, they were saying to each other in aid stations, come on, let's go, kind of thing. And there was no none of that with the Scottish boy at all, <laughs> which was fine. It kind, of, it kind of spurred me on a wee bit. So eventually, uh, Graham was there um, supporting me, accruing for me. Um, I get over to a point and I manage, we get to the, the hillier section and I thought, this is, this is my point, that I'm going to be able to catch them on the hillier section or at least I'm going to be able to tell how strong they are on the climbs because it was the longer climbs. And by this point, it's maybe 150 miles in. Um, and I saw them, and I passed, I passed them, uh, and took the lead into the next aid station. So by the time I got to the top of the climb, um, I'd put a few minutes on them. So then I'm straight down the climb into the aid station, and uh, Graham was there, and he's like, "Right, okay, you just need to really push the next section." And so I get out. I'm in good shape. I'm feeling positive. I'm in the lead now, and uh, I go slightly off trail. Long story short, and end up in these, like, Barclays bad for like the bushes <laughs> and the thorns and being ripped to pieces but this was like a whole new level it was like jungle size honestly it was above my head I'm stuck in these bramble bushes for eight. I got absolutely ripped to pieces and I, I just couldn't find a way out either I got totally destroyed and I'm wearing all the compress sport stuff so it's just getting torn to pieces as well as my skin and uh, when I finally get out and back onto the trail I pop out behind this guy and it's a guy who was in second who's now leading the race so automatically you're like I've just blown it. I've just blown it by not paying attention for those for those minutes. But in the end, it actually turned out to be really positive because I got angry about it. I got angry at myself and I used that to my advantage. So I decided right there and then, even though I was in pain, it was ripped to pieces and I was disappointed, that I was going to go past him and I was going to run as hard as I could until I couldn't see him anymore into the next aid station. So whilst I'd thrown it away in a few moments of madness, I'd managed mentally to bring it back around and try and use that to my advantage. That, that's really good, right? And and a chance for me to give a second musical reference to this pod, which um, Public Image <laughs> Limited tell us anger is an energy. It's yeah. how you choose. To, it's how you choose to use it. And you chosen that moment, not to make it a negative, but to turn it into a positive or a catalyst or a you know a motivator for you, which is uh, yeah. really interesting. Which kind of makes me think about, and very specifically to you, but I think everyone should probably recognise this that. Um, we, when something changes dramatically, like in that case, maybe dramatic's the wrong phrase to use, you know, but you're a, you're a hundred plus miles into a race, so it would feel quite dramatic to go off track and then. Oh, it was choosing dramatic for me, it was like yeah. the end of the world, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Well, yeah, so what you, you, your immediate emotion there was, was anger, but is that always how you feel when something dramatic happens? Um, and also, when you do, do you recognise the change curve you go through when something changes and how you can then control that? Uh, yeah, yeah. I I think 
in the past maybe I, I could have let that kind of thing affect me much more yeah. uh, in a much more negatively and just get into this space of of almost being a victim this thing this always happens to me I'm always a guy that gets lost or does something mm-hmm. stupid and I worked so hard to get in front in the first place and then my chance to actually put some time into this guy I've just blown it by by some mistake yeah. but actually um, some of the things that have helped me most in that side of things has been the travel for me like before uh, before the games and then I came out of the games I hadn't travelled a great deal not on my own certainly and now I've probably been living in foreign countries on and off for about six years now so travel is it's a really good way to test yourself and how you respond to to change and how you can be adaptable because things go wrong all the time you know yeah. I've been in I've been in um some really bad situations I've been in terrible accommodation I've had no bags turning up I've had crackheads banging on my motel door um I've been stuck 4000 miles from home and and hating the situation I've been in and having no support but you very quickly realize that you don't actually need to have a lot of things in your life to survive um and you can adapt really quickly with just the basics if you're able, if you're able to take a step back and ask yourself does it really matter at the moment is this really as serious as I think it is and I've done that a lot and that's been really great for me from a personal growth side of things um, and I think it's important when people travel sometimes too just to to see other cultures and and to get different perspectives on things so I'm actually I'm a pretty chill traveler now and even even just recently trying to get back to the UK when I was stuck in Tennessee yeah. you know um it wasn't a great situation to be in, but I'm I'm way more relaxed about those kind of things now because as long as I've got myself and some kind of safe place to be and I can feed myself, then, you know, everything else can be replaced ultimately. Sounds like Giblin's Giblin's hierarchy of needs right there, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As long as I've got food. Um, yeah. food, food and Wi-Fi, man, I'm fine after that, yeah. The, the Wi-Fi thing does stress me out, James, and I've been in lots of poor Wi-Fi <laughs> situations, it really gets me. Uh, I've, I've seen some of your posts where you've maybe been, um, you've been Wi-Fi squatting in some odd oh, places. Odd yeah. places, outside hotels, because the hotel's closed, but I can still crack their Wi-Fi. <laughs> I've been at McDonald's of all places. Oh, yeah, I've been, I've been everywhere. Train stations. Yeah, I'll have some of your vegan chicken nuggets, please, and um, <laughs> some of your Wi-Fi. No, I, I actually refused to buy anything. That was the thing that was stressing me out even more. <laughs> that's a, well, you know your principles. Your principles have to be your principles. Even yeah, that's even, right. You can just see you get a t-shirt, not even for free Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um, can I? Well, let, let's kind of wrap this section up because there's been so, so many great insights there. And one thing that kept jumping out to me was how you kept being able to bring perspective to the situation. And I, I think if anyone's listening, whether it be how you reacted in the West Highland Way race or how you had perspective about, you know, your journey as you were building your business and not panicking at the point where it's a slow growth, that's really great perspective. Or even just how you've used your experiences in life and travel to bring perspective to situations so that effectively, more than anything else, it sounds to me like you get quite quickly to a point of calm yeah. and you react with that. Yeah. And then that yeah. gives you clear mind to go and, you know, take the next best action. So wrapping all that up and bringing it together for the people listening to this if you had one bit of advice for them who were maybe looking to either make a minor or a massive change in their life what would that bit of advice be? Uh, I think people are fearful of making these bigger changes people generally don't like change and we've seen that recently with changes to our circumstances but yeah. actually actually, when a change is forced onto someone we, we have this amazing capacity to adapt and we have seen that we've seen amazing things come out of 
the whole COVID-19 thing and, and a lot of creativity about it and people doing really interesting and great stuff, uh, which has been great to see. But for me, um, if you're going to make a change, a significant change, then you need to be really, really passionate about it and don't just do something because you think it's the right thing to do or because somebody suggested it might be a good thing to do or you kind of think it's cool. Because when you're really, really passionate about it, then you always find ways of, and you always find solutions to make it happen. And and we've talked a little bit about it, James, in that, you know, some will say that if you're open to the universe and you're open to taking some of these risks, then sometimes the universe is going to deliver and it's going to come back to you and, and they're going to present some opportunities. And there's probably, we're all guilty of, at times, opportunities maybe being presented to us and our automatic reaction is a, oh, well, I couldn't do that. No, I couldn't do that. And and maybe it's been a bit more open to that. The other thing which bothers me slightly is uh, there's a lot of stuff on social media about, you know, find your passion, find your passion. Like it's something that you can go and find your passion. You can fill out some kind of questionnaire and it's going to tell you what your passion is. For me, it's not it's the wrong message slightly. It's it's about being passionate. It's about being passionate about you, first of all. You know, finding out what you really love and, and what you really value in your life. And when you do that, I think, then you can start to change your story. And when you start to change your story, then amazing things can happen. That's a really, really interesting way of looking at it. So before you try and find what you're passionate about, be yeah. passionate about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think I think that's a stumbling block for people because they're like, well, yeah. I should know, I should know what my passion is already, and I, for me, it doesn't have to like my passion clearly is running, but I've yeah. been I've been very passionate about other things in my life, and and running might not be the thing that I always do, and I'm okay with that as long I don't want to be that guy again where I wasn't really passionate about anything. I was maybe passionate about a doomed relationship, maybe that's what it was at the time. But I'm not going to be that guy again. I'm going to be passionate about the things that I really care about. And I'm going to be looking for the things that really light me up. Uh, and I think that's really important for people. Brilliant. I mean, it kind of makes me think that make sure you don't make your passion a full stop. Yeah. Because some people yeah. might do that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I'm, I'm kind of a wee bit now. I need to I need to ruminate on this this conversation. There's a few things going through my mind. So, God, when sometimes you ask me what I take from these conversations, I'm already like, yeah, that's tomorrow's runs thinking point. So, thank you for that, Paul. Thank you so much. Um, I think we'll we'll kind of I could talk to you for hours on this, and we could get into loads of, loads of conversation. And I've heard loads of things that I didn't know, or I haven't yeah. knitted them together in the snippets of conversations we've had around this. So it's been I'm really grateful for you for doing that, and I also know. And you've talked about vulnerability a lot in this podcast. Um, just that it was in your opening introduction and right through to now. Also, no, this isn't the easiest subject for you to talk about. You is not the no. subject that you want to talk about a lot. So I'm really grateful and I hope people listening to are for you sharing those stories. And if there's any feedback or anything people want to ask more about, then will you know how to contact us on social or via the email? Just drop us a line. So thank you, Paul. No worries at all, James. Uh, I think we'll just wrap up there. What kind of time are we at? Um, I've got about 40 minutes 40 minutes oh, we're maybe a bit shorter but it's fine I had lots more to say I think but we've got lots of time to talk so it's all good um, and before we go James if you don't mind you know it's coming <laughs> it's the it's the on the mate, mate, you're breaking up you're, you're breaking up <laughs> no, you're I'm breaking not up. I'm not this is payback right and James <laughs> I'm actually being doubly cruel here you don't even know this is coming no. You're not getting the same on the spot that we did in version one because that would be too easy. You've answered oh. that already. So I've got a new one for you. 
It's probably <laughs> just as well because I can't remember my answer from version one anyway. <laughs> yeah, I've got to Go come back it. to that one. I was going to talk to you about values, but we'll do that some other time. I think uh, I think you'd said actually in the last podcast that we'll maybe do a session about values would be really yeah, useful for definitely. people. It's something that people are maybe not so aware of and, and they don't do work on that kind of thing and it's super yep. important. So the questions really, uh, I saw a couple of social media posts over the last few days that triggered it, right? So okay. the question, it should be fresh in your mind anyway, you'll be fine. Uh, the question is three parts again because it's never straightforward with mediums. Three so parts. I want to know your favourite race course I want to know your own favourite race performance of yours and I want to know your favourite race performance by somebody else and why. Oh, wow. My favourite race course. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit like you. There's a, I, I, in 2014, when you were in the middle of... 2014, yeah, when you were in the middle of your, your kind of three back-to-back-to-back wins on the West Highland Way... I yeah. ran on the West Highland Way for the first time in my life. Probably yeah. one of the first times I ever really ran on trail for more than a few miles. Yeah. yeah. And I said to um, Jerry, um, who I was running with that day, I would only ever consider doing the West Highland Way if I could do it in under 24 hours. Yeah. And I kind of got hooked on it. So and, and I've ran the course loads of times. And if you said to me, you can only run once more, I would probably pick a section of the West Highland Way to run on. Yeah. Nice. Nice answer. Yeah. Yep. Your your own favourite race performance. So your the the race that you love the most, the actual year, or or why that race was important to you. I I think when I ran, oh, I, I'm struggling with this one, but I'm going to go I'm going to go with Rocky Raccoon in 2017. Yeah. Because when I when I ran that, I went out there, kind of the similar to what you've just talked about when you were racing Robbie. I went out there pretty bold. Yeah. Um, with a, an aim to run about 13 and a half hours for the 100 mile, knowing that that was quicker than Ian Sharman had run it the year before he won, yeah. but also knowing that no one except a handful of people like yourself, and I was in a, a group chat with, with, with Robbie actually, um, and a couple of others who were meant to be out there but didn't make it, um, and they asked me the night before the race what I was aiming to do, and I was like, I'm going to try and run 13 and a half, and I could tell by the reactions it was a wee bit like, oof, that's bold, and I hadn't thought it was bold up to that point, and I had to I had to run exceptionally well to win that race and I ran 13.30 something in the end yeah and I was just proud of doing that because my dad and my brother were there with me as well yeah. so it felt like a team effort yeah yeah James you you told us the story um, about your dad and your brother at Rocky Raccoon at anybody who was at the last pylon experience yeah which was amazing so I I'd love to record that maybe the audio story and we can put it out in the podcast at some point. It'd be it'd be great for people to hear. It was uh, yeah. it was funny yeah. and emotional too. It was good. I, 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 yeah, I'd be more than happy to share that. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. Last one. I'm giving you some time here. Your favorite race performance by someone else. Oh God, my favorite race performance by someone else. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have to be an ultra, but it could be, or it could be uh, an athlete that you coach, maybe. Um. You know the, the the one I'm one I'm going to pick is because I've talked about it with, with athletes and I, I don't want to pick any of the athletes I coach because I feel like I'd be choosing my, my favourite child yeah, yeah. there yeah, and that, that 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 wouldn't be fair on insert name here. Um, a race performance that really struck me uh, was Sammy Wingiro when he won the Chicago Marathon. They don't ask me what year it was, but yeah. he was he was an exceptional athlete. He'd done amazing things. But he'd kind of let himself go 
but the guts he showed to win that race on the back of suboptimal training, suboptimal lifestyle, and just through sheer determination, showed that you can have all the talent in the world, yeah. but if you don't have the guts to go for it when when the opportunity presents itself, you'll never win anything. And I've watched him winning that marathon with the the, the brilliant commentary. I don't know, 10 times. I've used it and worked with people loads of times to go, you think you maybe not had the ideal preparation? Neither yeah. did this guy. But he's still run yeah. one of the best marathons ever. Um, yeah. So I'm, go- I'm going to go with that. Nice one. Nice one. We, we, can put a, we can put a link to the show notes, actually, of the, the video of that. Um, I think it'd be good for people if you take a moment to go watch that. It is an exceptional finish to race. Yeah, I'll, there's I'll some amaz- amazing old uh, track footage from the 80s and stuff. Uh, some amazing performances that when you watch with the commentary especially it gets really emotional um, so but, we can maybe yeah, put up a couple of those yeah especially when you've got the kind of classic American guy getting all excited uh, and you know uh, or, or like maybe the the kind of Latino um, commentary where it's almost like they shout goal for 100, 100 yeah. years or something but it's like that's part of the spectacle right that's what drags you in yeah yeah Brilliant, James. Thank you very much. Uh, I know that was maybe a bit more unstructured than normal and we probably didn't cover everything that we hoped to in the short time that we had or maybe even presented the ideas in the way we had planned. But I feel it was worthwhile conversation and maybe there's room for more discussion on that in future episodes. So, James, before we go on, I think you have competition time for us. Tally ho, yeah, competition time. <laughs> Tally ho, Bean. <laughs> Tally ho. Oh, the the flash man from? of ultra running podcasts. <laughs> um, yes, yes. Um, so we put a competition out last time, which was really we're really grateful for people who are sharing and subscribing and interacting with us on this. And we asked that if you could leave a review, because that would really mean a lot to us. And we would pick a couple of winners from those reviews, um, and we would read them out on this pod. And we would send you an exclusive piling prize. Not telling you what it is, but let's just say you might need to build an extension for your home or something to store it. Um, <laughs> and we'll make arrangements for the, the trucks. Trucks, eh? Plural to get them to you. In December. <laughs> In December, yeah. Once this is all over. So yeah. we've got two winners. Um, so the first one we're going to pick out is headlines is new pod in the block so we're coming right away yeah yeah let's not do a music reference there um but it's from darjeeling dave darjeeling dave so what a cool name that is unfortunately we don't actually know who darjeeling dave is so dave you're going to have to get in touch um especially given james can i just stop you there you have to do the the pun i've heard it already ah well you know so i think i think the winner is darjeeling dave darjeeling dave who clearly sees this podcast as his cup of tea (laughs) <laughs> nice <laughs> and, and what Dave says is I've been a big fan of Piling for a while now after following on social media but if the first episode is anything to go by this podcast looks to be a great insight into the world of ultra running both physical and mental love the first show guys good luck for the rest of them thank you so much Dave I really appreciate you taking nice the time one, Dave. to thank you. review yep. and our second one is Spotty fan Spotty fan Spotty mm-hmm. fan yeah, Spotify yeah, 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 yeah. Could, or maybe, maybe just as acne. We don't, we don't know. Um, <laughs> is, uh, I mean, that's my bit. Sorry, uh, maybe, maybe we need to cut that. Move on. Our second one, are a Spotify fan, and yeah. headline is wisdom and inspiration from two of the best. So we can't be sure oh, nice. Spotify fans listen to the right yeah. podcast. Good, good guy. Yeah, yeah. But this is what Spotify has to say. This is the antidote to the lockdown ultra blues. 
If it's getting you down that all your goals and plans for racing this year are up in the air, settle down for a listen to Paul and James, quietly oozing positivity about hope, opportunity, resilience and adaptability. Great stuff. People usually pay money for this kind of advice. Nice. Spotify fan, thank really you very much. Kind of welling up a wee bit here. So, Winner. Spotify fan and Dad, Jailing Dave, we need you guys to um, just get in touch, um, exchange details, get your people to call our people and we'll make arrangements to get the prizes across to you. So Brilliant. thank you to you guys. And on the basis of that feedback, and there's quite a lot more, um, it'd be brilliant if we just do this again. So there'll be another couple of prizes next time round. So get commenting, get sharing, get liking, get subscribing. We'll pick another couple of winners next time round. Brilliant. Nice one, James. Thanks very much. Before I go, yes, I haven't gone yet. I know I keep saying I'm going, but uh, I have a small ask of you, if you don't mind, if you can hang on for one more minute. This is a really difficult time for everyone. I've personally had some of the hardest moments of my life over the past few weeks. But something I realised recently is that we all have the capacity to positively influence others. We maybe don't realise it, but when someone you hardly know, for example, says to you that they're grateful for what you do or they understand what you might be feeling or they understand your message, then it can be incredibly powerful. I've received one or two messages uh, over the last couple of months and, and one of those face-to-face as well um, from people that I don't really know that well but I know of them on social media or I know of them through other contacts uh, and they were bold enough and brave enough to say something and say that they understand or that they appreciate uh, what I do or basically let you know that you're you're seen and that's really important for us particularly at the moment when things are very up and down and it's a small thing to do so my ask would be that maybe you find some somebody that you've never really spoken to that you appreciate and it could be someone on social media or if you're working on the front line maybe it's somebody who I don't know that you buy a coffee from or, or, or helps you in the shop that maybe you can say thanks or that you appreciate what they do and it can have a significant impact for people if you catch them at the right time it can turn around their day so if you can do that and it helps us to build community and to continue sharing positive messages so it's a small ask but i hope that some of you will be able to do that and uh, when you do that you really give other people permission to do the same thing as well so it can have a cascade effect so thank you for listening see if you can maybe find someone and and tell them that you appreciate them this week Thank you very much. So that, people, is episode three of the Pylon Ultra pod. So thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to hear more, then please subscribe, leave us a comment and share on social media. We'd love to have many more of these conversations on living the ultra life, where we'll talk further about the people, the places, the culture and the training behind our running lives. I'm Paul Giblin. And I'm James Stewart, and I press record this week. <laughs> Thanks, James. Until next time on the Pylon Ultra Pod.